Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com. And we got a great show lined up for you guys today. We will be talking with UFC 237's Kurt Hollibaugh as he prepares for his fight with Tiago Moises. And we'll be talking with recent Invicta Tournament champion winner Brianna Van Buren all about her tournament victory. Plus, we'll be talking about all the news around the league, including Cowboy Cerrone's big win, DC, DC and Stipe, and much, much more. Plus, our combat countdown of our favorite wishes for the MMA universe and a breakdown of the top three fights on the UFC 237 card. We've got a loaded show, so don't miss a second of it. And before you do, make sure that you know that this episode is brought to you by ADK Fightwear. Go to ADKFightwear.com, use promo code TURTLE, T-U-R-T-L-E, all lowercase, and you are going to get some high-quality jiu-jitsu gear at 20% off. That's right, 20% off your whole order there, and that 20% goes a long way at ADKFightwear.com because their gear is already low-priced, and you're going to knock off 20% of it. Take their arm bars and stripes rash guard, for instance. If you use our promo code, you're going to get the thing for 20 bucks. That's right, a high-quality rash guard that the colors don't fade, it doesn't pill, the seams look great months after wearing it, and you're going to get it for just 20 bucks. You can't find things like that anywhere online. So check that out. Check their spats out. Check their geese out. Check their t-shirts, sweatshirts, the whole line out. ADKFightwear.com. ADK Fightwear brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com, and today I have the pleasure of speaking to Kurt Hollibaugh, who fights Tiago Moises at UFC 237 this weekend. So, Kurt, you made the choice to go back up to lightweight for this bout after spending two fights in the UFC and one in the Contender Series at Featherweight. Uh, what made you make that decision? Uh, man, I think it's just more of a natural weight class for me. You know, I only have one loss at 155 pounds, and that's to a number one strike force contender, Pat Healy, that... You know, I really feel if I was more experienced, uh, you know, I think I could have came away with a victory. Um, I just think the weight cuts were getting a little too hard. My training camp was becoming just more and more about me making weight than actual focusing on the fight itself. So, you know, for me, uh, it was just a much better decision to go back to 155 pounds where I feel like that's more of a natural uh, fighting weight class for me. And I've heard from a lot of fighters, too, that that, that weight – cut being all of your training camp or at least feeling like it's all of your training camp is the biggest problem were you inspired by some of those other fighters who've jumped up in weight and had uh had a lot of success um or was this something that you decided on your own yeah i think uh i think it was a little bit of both and uh you know a lot of those guys uh for example you could take desmond green and dustin poirier two guys that you know used to fight at 145 pounds and you know, both guys wind up going up to 155, and you hear them both kind of say the same thing, you know. And one cool thing that uh, Desmond Green said that kind of stuck with me, and this was way back when we went to Russia a couple years ago, he was like, you know, just because you can make 145 pounds doesn't necessarily mean that you need to fight there. And, you know, I totally agree with that. And after that fight in Russia, I said to myself, um, you know, I'll I'll, I don't think I'll ever go back to 145 pounds unless I need it to for an opportunity. And that's kind of what happened. You know, I needed that opportunity for the contender series and I took it and you know, my management and my team, they, they said, you know, you looked 
amazing at 145 pounds. So let's just try to stick around and let's, you know, not see if we, let's see if we can make a run. And I agreed. And I think, you know, I had two really great fights, you know, shit happens. And, um, you know, I got caught in those fights and wind up losing both fights. But I think there was both really good showings, really good fights up until the end. And uh, I think that ultimately led to me going back to 155 pounds. And I'm glad you mentioned the Contender Series in that answer, too, because I was actually going to ask you about that. You were actually the first ever Contender Series main event. You were one of the first guys ever to get a contract. What have you sort of thought as that series has unfolded and become something that seems pretty big? Do you watch it? Do you look back on it and realize that you were sort of the first one? Yeah, I definitely watch it, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to take it. Of course, um, before I went to the Contender Series, you know, I, I wanted a, a straight contract to the UFC, and I thought that's what I was going to get. But, you know, I, I like the way the UFC is making these guys work their way into uh, the UFC like that. You know, you put them on the Contender Series. If you're impressed, you get a contract. And uh, so, I, so I really like that. And uh, to be the first one, you know, it's pretty awesome. So every time they coming out with a new Contender Series, you know, you see, especially since I got a good highlight on it, you know, you get to see that. Everybody gets to see, um, you know, what I kind of did on the Contender Series being the first guy. Yeah, sort of like being the uh, the Forrest Griffin, Stefan Bonner of, of a brand new series. Yeah, I think I would definitely agree with that. Yep. So let's talk about your fight coming up this weekend, too, because you're fighting a very grapple-heavy opponent in Tiago Moises. Uh, any special preparation in the grappling world for this one? Are you sort of just sticking to what's been working for you? Uh, man, not really. I've just been, uh, you know, training. Of course, uh, I train a lot of wrestling now, a lot of wrestling, a lot of jiu-jitsu. I think I focus a little more on those aspects um, pretty much for this fight. But uh, I'm not too worried about, you know, his grappling or his uh, wrestling or anything like that. I think I'm pretty well-rounded now. Um, you know, I've, I've had some fights in the past where guys just take me down, take me down, but I don't think that any guy has been just able to hold me down. I'm, I'm pretty scrambly off my back. Um, you know, and I'm a submission guy myself. Uh, so I know Moises is a black belt and he's got a couple submissions to his, uh, to his credit, but the, you know, most of the fights that I see, man, he doesn't really engage in a lot of takedowns. Um, he's basically, he likes to stand up and trade. And I think that's what's gonna. I think that's what he's gonna try to throw me off with. I think he's gonna come out and he's probably gonna shoot early. I don't know if he really wants to stand with me. I think, uh, you know, he's probably watched some of my fights and he sees the speed that I bring and some of the power that I bring. And I don't know if he really wants to get into that. So I look for the fight to to go to the ground one way or another, whether it's me putting him down, whether it's him trying to put me down. But uh, for sure, I'll be ready. And we're looking forward to that. Now, I, I do want to ask you, too, so th this is the first time you're fighting in Brazil. And really, you've only fought internationally in that one fight you mentioned in Russia against uh, Frodo. So are, how are you getting ready for this fight, preparing to be in foreign soil, preparing to be in a hostile environment? What, what are you doing to get ready for that mentally? Well, uh, n nothing really. You know, I'm just still sticking to my everyday training routine. And I'm just not even trying not to even worry about it. I felt that uh, in the last fight in New York, I was in pretty hostile territory fighting Shane Burgos. You know, he he was a New York native. And uh, the crowd was pretty pumped for him. So I'm guessing it's going to be pretty much the same way over there. And 
then again, the time zones aren't too bad in Brazil. It's only like a two-hour time difference. Mm -hmm. So I don't think the time routine or anything like that is going to throw me off. The hostile crowd, you know, I hear those Brazilians get rowdy, man, but good thing I got my Brazilian coach, Rafael, coming with me. So uh, hopefully I can get a couple fans over there. And I actually think I already got a couple fans over there. You know, I'm going to have some guys, uh, teammates of Rafael, and uh, I got some other Brazilian friends that are all coming to the fight. So who knows, man, I might have a little crowd myself. Well, that seems certainly awesome. Now, I did want to get you a quick prediction before I let you go. What's your prediction for this fight coming up with Moises? How do you see this one ending? Referee's going to stop it, man. Um, you know, I think he's going to be – I'm going to gas him out. He's going to try to hang with me from start to finish, and I don't think that's going to happen. So uh, I definitely see myself being on top very, uh, very much like Darius did, but I'm going to get the finish. The referee's going to stop it. All right, well, you heard it here first, folks. Kurt Hollibaugh, who fights Tiago Moises at UFC 237 this weekend. Kurt, thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. This is Daniel Gumby, Greenland, with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com. And today, I have the pleasure of speaking to Invicta Phoenix Rising Tournament Champion, Brianna Van Buren. Brianna, let's talk about how this all came about, because... If you told me there was going to be a one-night tournament with eight women in it, I would be astonished that we were going back to the, the old times. What were your initial thoughts when they, they told you about this tournament? Yeah, so I remember when uh, Shannon Knapp had called me and she was like, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Um, you know, is this something that you would be a part of? Like, is this something that you would be interested in being part of? And I remember without a hesitation, I told her, uh, hell yeah, count me in and she's like well well wait go and you know talk to your coaches and and let them know and you know and then and see if you know if, if they're okay with it and I'm like Shannon I'm totally interested like count me in you know but if you want me to talk to my coaches I'm you know I'll let them know but they're gonna say yes as well so I'm telling you it's a hard yes <laughs> that that's awesome now i, I gotta ask too because it's sort of a unique format like you know if we we go way back to the early tournaments at mma you know we're talking about you know longer rounds we're talking about longevity what what were your feelings on the one round fight early on in the tournament yeah so in the beginning i was kind of like uh i was kind of iffy about it one because it's totally out of my comfort zone right so i'm so you're we're so used to going three five-minute rounds, and so I didn't know, like, for me, it was like, okay, I have to go in there and try to get the job done as quick as possible, but I have to be smart about it. I can't go in there trying to, you know, swing for the fences and then end up getting caught, um, but I was pretty stoked, you know, after a while, it, I, like, you know, I kind of was like, okay, it's one five-minute round, like, I can do this, like, you know, I just got to make sure that my conditioning and everything is up to par and, you know, just go in there. Absolutely. And, and now I know the, the tournament also had a unique role set in that if you were the fastest finisher in round one and you were the only finisher in round one, but if you were in the fastest finisher in round one, you got to choose your opponent for round two. Now you chose Juliana Lima, who is probably the most experienced fighter left in the tournament at that point. Definitely has got the highest level experience at that point with her UFC run. What made you pick Juliana Lima? Yeah. Um, to be quite honest with you, um, I let my coaches kind of 
do the work and then um you know they asked me how I felt about Juliana Lima and I remember just looking at Anthony and I just told him like let's do it like you know he's like well you know what do you what do you think about Juliana Lima and and I said okay uh you know is that the one where is that what we're going with I tried to I tried to train it's so hard to say this but like I tried to for for anything and everything that can ha- that that can possibly happen so I was prepared to to go against any uh, any one of those girls and you know uh somehow Juliana Lima was was the one and you know I decided to to take that one and I said let's do it yeah, and, and she's not the only UFC fighter that you fought in this tournament either because you, you fought Kaylin Curran in the finals. You got the finish over her. What What is it like now knowing that you went from in one night having no real wins over UFC competitors to having two suddenly in your record three wins higher? Yeah, so I actually fought back in December and the girl that I fought was the uh, UFC fighter as well, Jamie Moyle. So she oh. she actually had just gotten cut from uh, the UFC. And then, you know, uh, coming into this tournament and then finishing, um, you know, Kaylin Cran and then beating uh, Juliana Lima, who's also a UFC fighter, I think, um, I think that says a lot, right? <laughs> I, I think it does too. And, and that was actually where I wanted to lead this, this question last too. Obviously, you're the champ now, right? So, are you looking to defend your title, or are you trying to parlay this into a UFC shot as quickly as you possibly can? Because, like you said, you did beat three UFC talent level women. Yeah. So for me, there's no rush. Um, I'm not in a rush. I'm not. I'm. I'm here to. I'm here to stay. I'm here to to do this um, for as long as you know, and until I decided to say, you know, I'm not enjoying it anymore. Um, I like the idea that I do have options right now. Um, I'm going to go and hang out with my family this weekend and, you know, kind of sit on, sit on some, sit on it. And, you know, I'll let, I'll let the, I'll decide that once, uh, once I'm ready to make that decision. But I have options. I even have the option to even, you know, go down to 105s and, and challenge, uh, the champion, um, at 105, you know, or, you know, who knows? I can stay at 115. Um, I feel like I, I, you know, I went against the top girls that, that Invicta has. Um, so, I mean, what more? Absolutely. Now, I know you went four rounds uh, the other night, so uh, obviously that that's a pretty substantial amount of your gas tank. How, how quick are you willing to get back in there after this? Are you going to take a bunch of time off, or are we going to see you soon? No, I'm looking to fight at least two more times this year. Um, ideally, in a perfect world, if it were up to me, me being the competitive person that I am, uh, I would I would love to take a fight, you know, in in a couple of weeks. But um, I'm gonna again. I'm not gonna make any fast decisions. I'm not gonna let my ego get in the way. I'm gonna go spend some time with my family and then, um, you know, get back to training and and do what I do and you know just continue to get better. But ideally, in a perfect world, I would love to fight at least two more times uh, this year. Well, we're certainly looking forward to seeing you fight. Once again, fans, this was Invicta Phoenix Rising Tournament champion, Brianna Van Buren. Brianna, thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate it. Hey, thank you. Um, I appreciate you guys for getting me on this. This is awesome. (laughs) 
And those interviews with Kurt Hollibaugh and Brianna Van Buren were brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E Social is the one and only BJJ tracking app so that you can stay on top of your jiu-jitsu training. That's right. There is now an app designed strictly to help you stay on track with your training. So this is how it works. You're going to go to either the Apple Store or Google Play and you're going to download Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. Once you do that, you'll set up your profile with your name, your belt, where you train, all that kind of good stuff. You can make friends on the account, or you can just text your friends and say, hey, you guys need to get Maroon Social as well. Once you've done that, you can start logging your training sessions, which is really awesome for multiple reasons. One is it allows you to keep notes on things that you might forget. And two, it also allows you to check how much you're training. It gives you updates on how you're doing weekly, how you're doing monthly, and make sure that you're making the progress you want to make. They have tons of other functions too that include weigh-ins, competitions, seminars, all kinds of stuff. So make sure that you check them out, Maroon Social. Now, back to the show. I am Daniel Gumby Vreeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, let's talk about that one-night tournament. What do you think of the format on the Invicta one-night tournament? Well, Gumby, it's our 167th episode, so hopefully by now our loyal fans and you know me well enough to know I love a tournament. And I love a one-night tournament as much as I love the Grand Prix style, where a tournament takes place over several months or the course of the year. But this was a really cool format to me. And I, I love that, you know, if you have the quickest finish, you could pick who your opponent is. So there's a bit of gamesmanship, of strategy. My only, I guess, uh, criticism would be, I think, they do a five-minute first round, a five-minute second round, and a potential three-round, or sorry, a five-minute one-round one only in round one, right? And one round only in round two. So that's mm. ten minutes of fighting. Plus, if you make it to the finals, it's a potential three normal rounds of five minutes. So what is that? Let's do the quick math. Five that's, Oh, is it five rounds? Well, that would be five total rounds, right? One, one, and three. That's five. Right. Okay, 25. So here would be my counter to that. Do an old-school-style pride 10-minute round in the second round. Ooh. And so it goes 5, 10, 15. and then 15. So I know that's five more minutes, but I just, I like, you know, I want to see a fight develop. I don't want it cut off in five minutes, and you're dealing with two people who already have a win. It just seems kind of criminal if, you know, someone got cheated out of a quick match in the second round. Yeah, that, that's true. I, I like that. I almost wonder if the commissions were sort of what uh, what wound us up with this format, though. Sure. I'm sure they are. I just don't think that extra five minutes is going to kill anyone. But no, that's I, don't, I don't either. <laughs> All right. Well, with that said, it's time for our favorite segment on the podcast. Well, at least tied for our favorite segment on the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA's Fastest Fight News. We deliver the news to you in the MMA world in under 15 minutes or less, or your podcast is free. We know you're busy and don't have a lot of time to waste, so let's get going. Gumby, there's no better place to start than Cowboy Cerrone taking the nod over Ally Aquinta this weekend. The old man still has something in him. He's 36 years old. He's a dad now, and he's back on top of the 155-pound division. What were your thoughts on the performance, and where do we go from here? Well, I think the performance was masterful in a couple of senses. First of all, I was really shocked that this didn't wind up a grappling match in any way. Like, I envisioned that if this was going to be a Cerrone victory, 
It would come from Alec Iaquinta trying to grapple him up. And Cerrone has great submissions. I, I thought Cerrone had a chance to get the submission there. I didn't really expect him to outstrike Iaquinta in such a violent way. And that's exactly what he did. Right? Like, he tagged him. He dropped Al Iaquinta, which nobody in history, or nobody in the UFC history, has ever done this is a new level of Cerrone. He looks better than he did when he got the title shot against RDA. He really does. Now, do you pick Cerrone when you go against that upper echelon at 155? Do you pick Cerrone against a Khabib, against a Tony, against a Gaethje, against a Poirier? Uh, I, I would give him a fighting chance against Gaethje and Poirier. I, I like him against Gaethje and Poirier. I don't yeah. like him against Habib. Um, and the reason I like him against Gaethje and Poirier is I think both of them would engage him in a striking battle. And right now, it looks like he's hitting so freaking hard for the UFC 155 division. And, and I think that Poirier sort of got away with beating Max Holloway in the fact that Max Holloway doesn't hit hard. I would be interested to see how Cowboy hits him and how he reacts to that. So I, I like him there. I, I think every single time Justin Gaethje steps into the cage, it's a fucking coin flip. So I, I think Cowboy could win that fight too. I, I'm obviously worried about Habib's wrestling and what that would do to him. I think that's totally fair uh, and right on the money. Speaking of money, the UFC did not make a lot, at least in a traditional way, as it's being reported that UFC 236, headlined by Max versus the aforementioned Dustin Poirier, did Sub 100,000 buys. Now, of course, that would be catastrophic under the old model. This, of course, was the first pay-per-view on the ESPN Plus service. So ESPN paid them a rights fee. They paid the UFC, that is, just to host the pay-per-view. So this is not, uh, you know, a traditional pay-per-view where they're splitting a 50-50 share with cable operators and satellite providers. Uh, but that being said, I, I think the 100,000 buys speaks to the fact that a lot of people were also just confused on how to even order it, being the first one. Yeah, and, and they've come out and said since then, too, that they plan on having a better system for ordering next time. Because you couldn't order it right from the app. You had to go online or use your phone to use your whatever web browser you use. Order it from there and then go to your app and make sure that it's signed in in your app. That's really convoluted, and you know that if ESPN had more time to put this together, you would have seen a better product or a better accessibility or whatever. But the fact of the matter is, I think this came on really quick. The UFC didn't like the pay-per-view model, didn't like how it was sounding, jumped right into bed with, with ESPN, and, and sort of haphazardly, I don't think they're even all that upset about these numbers because they knew it was coming, because they rushed into it, because they're getting a higher cut of it. And, you know, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. It will grow, and the numbers might be lower forever. Who knows? Yeah, there's no reason I button by any stretch. I think Dustin Poirier brought up a really good point where he said something to the effect of, like, his family in Louisiana, a lot of them don't have a streaming, you know, a Roku, an Apple TV, uh, ways to stream such things as an ESPN+. Plus. They're, you know, relying on traditional cable, and it's something a lot of people forget about is there are parts of this country that don't even have fiber optic high-speed cables to provide them with high-speed internet. Mm -hmm. So if you're in certain parts of the country, you can't even get high-speed internet and the ability to stream something. You're reliant upon cable. And, you know, there might be a lot of people ordering pay-per-views and bumblefuck wherever. Yeah, so my, my parents that, don't have 
uh, high-speed internet where they are, which is pretty crazy to say because we live in Massachusetts and people don't even think of Massachusetts as all that crazy rural, but they don't. Right, because they're more in, like, the mountains of Western Mass, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that it is something to consider, you know, and uh, maybe UFC cares, maybe they don't because they have the guaranteed cut, but it'll be something to keep an eye on over the course of this ESPN contract. Now, speaking of this ESPN contract and how the pay-per-views play out, it's being reported, and this broke after our last Fastest Fight News, our last Top Turtle MMA podcast, and it ties in perfectly to this. First off, it was announced that DC is going to fight Stipe in August, rematch for the heavyweight title, great fight. Now, why is this somewhat surprising? Well, it was rumored for a long time. There was even a little angle shot, some might say, if you know your pro wrestling jargon, where Brock Lesnar came into the cage after DC won the title last summer. They teased a match, and everyone thought it would be DC versus Brock Lesnar. But it has since come out that Brock Lesnar is staying in the WWE. He's not coming back to combat sports. He's not coming back to the UFC because they could not work out a contract with him. He wanted guaranteed money now knowing that the pay-per-views are on ESPN+, and you saw what this first pay-per-view did in numbers. He said, it's not the same way I would have been paid before. I want guaranteed money, and they couldn't come to an agreement. What do you make of this whole scenario? Well, you definitely can't blame him for that, but also it, it makes sense. Like, the UFC is moving to a place where they are making money regardless of the number of big stars they have, so it's easier for them to say, no, we're not going to pay Brock Lesnar that catastrophic amount of money uh, at because it's not going to break our, our pay-per-view buy system because we've got a better system now, and there are tons of people on the ESPN Plus app. ESPN's throwing money at us. It makes a lot of sense. At the same time, I'm almost happy it happened. I'd rather watch Stipe versus DC than Brock Lesnar. While I get the freak show aspect of Brock Lesnar and everybody wants to see the freak show of Brock Lesnar, this is probably, in the end, a more competitive match and more fun. And it, it opens it up the possibility that we can see another Francis Ngannou title shot or another JDS title shot. Somebody who else who, who probably deserves it more than Brock. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point, and I agree with you completely. I, I really wanted Stipe to get that rematch. I think he deserved it. I mean, heck, he set the record for most title defenses as a heavyweight with, you know, a paltry three, but it is what it is. Uh, that being said, you know, Brock Lesnar came back at, what was it, UFC 200 and fought Mark Hunt, not for a title. It did a million buys. Cormier versus Jones was supposed to be on that show. They weren't. It ended up being Misha Tate and uh, – Amanda Nunes headlining, I can tell you right now, all due respect to both those fighters, I love them both, but, you know, Nunes and Kate did not earn that million buys on their own. It, that was Brock Lesnar. Yeah. And probably a couple of people who ordered it ahead of time thinking they were going to get DC Jones. Lesnar doesn't need a title. It, you already said it. He's a freak show. I think Lesnar and his management, which I think includes his on-air manager, Paul Heyman from WWE, I think... This is all a big negotiation. The UFC did change their model. It makes business sense for them to do business, and Brock's always going to be there. I mean, yes, he is aging, but sometime in the next year, and DC said this too, if the money was right, Brock would come back. I, I, I don't think Brock necessarily needs to be in a title fight. I think you could pay him whatever you have to work out, and it's him versus Naganu, end of the year, Let's see a fucking freak show. Yeah, I'd love to see him fight Naganu. That, that's a dream <laughs> fight for me. Because Naganu wants it. He wants it. It's the big power puncher hitting the big strong wrestler. I love it. 
Now, uh, former UFC fighter recently found himself in a bit of trouble with the law, and that's Anthony Rumble Johnson. Police came to his house last night, reported domestic violence incident. Though when you read the report, not to downplay anything, but it sounds like, you know, you hear Rumble Johnson in a domestic violence incident, and you think the worst thing's possible. We've all seen what that man could do with one punch. It sounds like he, he picked up his girlfriend, they were in an altercation, and he moved her from one room to another. Not the worst thing we've ever heard, but certainly he's in a bit of legal trouble. Uh, what did you make of this? And I guess really the MMA tie into this is this probably seals the deal on him not ever coming back. Because I think there have always been rumors that he would, but I, I tend to think this is it. Yeah, I definitely think this is it, too. Like, it, it seems like he's in a uh, maybe probably not the best headspace, especially to be fighting at this point in time. Um, hopefully he gets help if that's what he needs. And, uh, you know, the other thing, too, is we, we're definitely not going to see him back unless they add a super heavyweight division. Because have you seen this dude lately? He is freaking huge, man. <laughs> Speaking of freak shows, how about him versus Naganu? Oh, man. Yeah, I think he probably outweighs Naganu by a solid 30 to 40 pounds now. He's enormous. Well... That's a bit of a bummer news, but you know what? There was someone else who had some personal struggles earlier this year. Everyone hoped the best for him. And I'm, of course, talking about Tony Ferguson, who recently tweeted out that he was negotiating a new contract with the UFC. He was spotted at the UFC headquarters the other day. So it sounds like Tony Ferguson is coming back. I know that's your guy. Uh, great news all around. What do you do with Tony Ferguson right now if he does have a fight lined up? Knowing that Habib and Poirier are going to fight in September, what do you do if you're the Booker Gumby? My preferred UFC lightweight matchups right now are Habib and Poirier. I, I like Tony Ferguson versus. Um, I, I like Tony Ferguson probably versus. I, I'm going to say Justin Gaethje, and I like Conor mm. McGregor versus Cowboy Cerrone. Um, I like think, yeah. I think those are it. my three because. Connor Cowboy, dude, dude, you could put that on pay-per-view and it's going to sell, right? Like, that that could be a main event of a pay-per-view. And then, you know, the violence machine that is Tony Ferguson versus the violence machine that is Justin Gaethje, to me, is just a slam dunk, too. So you got three slam dunks across the board there. I, I think that that's the way that they ought to go with Lightweight if they can get everybody to agree. Now, I will say this. If I'm, I, I called them Booker, which is a wrestling term. I meant to say UFC matchmaker. Uh, the if I'm the UFC matchmakers, one thing I don't do, I don't put Tony in a fight this summer. Um, I mean, maybe he wants to fight, and if that's the case, fine. I try to do it in late June. I, I mean, that would give him a six week fight camp. Maybe July fourth for the International Fight Week. That would be fine. But one thing I have to think about for Tony Ferguson is. Habib is a guy who has gotten injured a ton. We know how this goes in the modern put UFC. Put him on that card, who, man. Oh, I, that's what I'm thinking is put him on that card, and if one of Poirier or Habib drops out, then you have Tony right there for the second time to become an interim UFC 155 champ, and then hopefully you're combining that belt with uh, Habib. If it's Poirier who gets injured, or if it's, uh, or sorry, yes, if it's Poirier who gets injured, um, then you just have Tony versus Habib. And if it's Habib who gets injured, you do Tony versus Poirier for the interim title, and then you finally book that could be a uh, Tony fight whenever Habib would be coming back, if that all makes sense. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. And I think that that's a smart <clears throat> thing to do. Um, there's 
a lot of rumors that Connor is training. He's ready to fight. Um, I, I guess right now at this point it, it's Cerrone or bust. I can't, I mean, unless they did Ferguson, but I, you know, he's not going to fight Habib for a rematch. We already know that Habib is going to fight Poirier and Abu Dhabi. So I, I, I think it's Cerrone. Would you not speculate that? I, I would almost guarantee it's Cerrone. It's a huge fight. It's a fight that Connor said he would take after Cerrone won in Brooklyn. Now with a high-profile win for Cerrone, I, I think that that's obviously where they're going next. All right. Well, that about wraps up the fastest fight news, our favorite segment, or at least tied for our favorite segment. We'll move then to our other favorite segment on the show, uh, and that's the Combat Countdown, which this week our Combat Countdown is going to be a little different. Uh, we're going to count down if an MMA genie granted us a wish what three wishes would we want for MMA in general? So Gumby has his three. I have my three. Uh, and we, of course, took in the fan feedback that we got on Twitter. That plays into each of our lists. I don't know your list, Gumby. You don't know my list. So we'll count it down right now. But I do wonder, is this MMA genie grants us a wish combat countdown brought to the fans by any fine company? Absolutely. The Combat Countdown, as always, is brought to you by CSU Mouthguards. Head to SISUGuard.com for the only mouthguard where you can talk, breathe, and drink all with the mouthguard up in your mouth. It is a feat of science. They have tiny perforations in there that not only spread out the impact, but also allow that water and that air to get to your teeth so that they are not the uncomfortable, chubby mouthguards of your youth. Check them out and make sure when you do, you use promo code top turtle 15 for 15 percent off all your orders uh fuck the chubby mouth guard so again <laughs> this is not um this is not a typical combat countdown we normally just do we compile a list together off air we present our top five we take in fan feedback we of course took in fan feedback but we're going to do your list gumby's list and my list shockwave dave's list we don't know each other's list so let's see if we match on anything Gumby, I'll start with my number three. We'll count it down three, two, one. And my number three, if a genie granted me a wish, so third from the top, my number three wish would be, I wish there was a pill fighters could take that would prevent them from getting any CTE. So I'm going safety first year, safety of the fighters. This was actually brought up by a Twitter uh, feedback on our Twitter when we posed this question, and I think it's a great one. So I'm thinking kind of like, Bradley Cooper in that movie Limitless, where he was able to take a pill and it made him super smart. Only this time, the pill prevents against CTE. That's my number three. What do you have? I, I love that one. For my number three, I'm going to be a little bit more selfish. Sorry that I'm not thinking about the fighters here. I'm going to be more selfish and topically pick that I want the UFC to do more tournaments and other gimmicky things. Uh, I, I think the tournament is a slam dunk. I love that Bellator is doing it more often again. I love the one-night tournament in Invicta. I love that kind of shit all the time. Get rid of the Ultimate Fighter. Put tournaments on fight cards for me so that I can see them in the prelims. I'm all about bringing the tournament back. So that's that's my number three. Well, we got a bingo because that was my number two. <laughs> so I agree with you completely. It's already been said at the top of the show. I fucking love tournaments. And what I do want to make mention of, though, here is I don't need a one-night tournament. You know, especially at 155, 170, 
the UFC is so stacked. Give me an eight-man tournament that plays out over the course of the year, just like Bellator did to perfection with their heavyweight tournament. That's all I'm asking for. Just give me the Grand Prix style. Eight fights that take place in, a, in January. Then you have the semifinals in May and the finals in the fall. And it's going to sort out so much in the title picture because some of those divisions, 145, 155, 170, they're so deep and they need a tournament to kind of move things along. And you're also going to get, you know, maybe an eighth seed who ends up in the finals. That's great storytelling. That's the kind of thing TV executives love. It's why March Madness is so popular. There is nothing wrong with the tournament, so we match up there. So that's my two. I'll kick it back over to you. What's your two? So my two is, again, another selfish one on my part. As far as me watching MMA, there's nothing, and I've made this very clear talking with you on this podcast over and over again, there's nothing more frustrating to me than the rapid jumping of weight classes. I want rigid weight classes in the UFC. I want people who are in weight classes to stay in them and only change like old school way. Like when Frankie had your changes division was like, I'm going down. And then he was down forever. I want rigid weight classes in the UFC so that I know what's going on in them. I don't want Ioana Janjacek ranked in two divisions. I don't want Tiago Santos ranked in two divisions. I just want to know what's happening in each division. Uh, that's very fair. I like that a lot. I do. Um, this will bring us to our number one. Uh, and again, I am going to go, it's kind of an all-encompassing thing. It's, it's making things better for the fighters. So I'm cheating here, and I'm going to do two things. One, the end of the extreme weight-cutting culture. And two, increase fighter pay. How you do that, I don't know, but I'm throwing it out there. Jeannie's granting me a wish. Those are the two things, because I think it would make fighters' lives better. They're not risking their bodies with the extreme weight cuts, and they're also getting compensated as they should for what is a very extreme job. So that's really it. It's just making fighters' lives better. So You're number one. On my list, I had three written down for number one. Those two were two of them, so I was trying to decide between these last three which one to pick. So since you picked those two, I'm going to go with a more specific one, again, for my fandom more so than my uh, my hope for fighters in general. And I'm going to pick a, somebody who I want to see win a title. I want to see Francis Naganu as a champion because I think his story mm. is the most Hollywood story of history. And if he had just beaten Stipe back in Boston at UFC 220 there'd already be a Francis Naganu movie out there. I think he's like one of the nicest dudes. We've had him on the show multiple times. He's super kind. I just want to see him win a title before he goes so that we can get the movie or the 30 for 30 special on ESPN. I'm sure it's on the way anyway. Um, so that's going to be my number one since you took my other two. We'll go with Francis Naganu, heavyweight champ. I also realized that my top three actually matched up perfectly, and I didn't do this on purpose with one of our Twitter followers, Gorilla Monsoon. So shout out to that guy because we match up perfectly with what our top three wishes would be. I will say an honorable mention for me would be making UFC a little bit, not a ton, but just a little more pride influence. I'd love the 10 minute round. We already talked about that. Mm. I love the theatrics of pride. Sometimes with the over the top entrances don't need it on every show, but maybe like a big ESPN pay-per-view. Yeah. And I also am a sucker an absolute sucker 
I loved when Pride would bring out all the fighters at the beginning of the show for a round of applause. Then they would go back in the locker room and the fights would start. Something about that, I don't know. I just think it's cool. It's like something out of the movie Bloodsport. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I also will say, while we're giving honorable mentions here, I-, I would say there's maybe like 10 people who responded that they, they just want to see Habib versus Tony, which I freaking <laughs> love that that was on there. So one person, I-, I can't remember who it was, one person answered it three times, and it was like Habib versus Tony, Tony her- versus Habib, Nurmega Medov versus Ferguson. And I was like, what? Three phenomenal wishes. That's, yeah, that's tremendous. I mean, that is a fight. It will be, and this is a topic for another day, but it will be a shame if one of those guys retires before that fight actually happens. And I know it's been booked four, maybe even five times. It's cursed. But it's so sad that they were even on the same show last October, if you recall, because Tony fought Pettis on the undercard. Mm-hmm. Not the undercard. It was actually like the third from the top of uh, Connor Habib. Yeah. And it's like, they were right there. They should have just had them fight in the parking lot. That was the <laughs> chance for lightning to strike. Um, well, anyway, that's our MMA genie wishes, our form of the combat countdown this week. Bit of a different format. Let us know what you thought. We're accepting both love and hate feedback on our Twitter, at Top Turtle MMA. Keep your eye on that feed next week as we will ask for your opinions on uh, our next combat countdown. We'll move along to our other favorite segment on the show, it's a UFC preview. This week is UFC 237. The breakdown is going to be brought to you by... Why don't you let us know, Gumby? Well, of course, it's UFC 237. Breakdown is brought to you by Sheath Underwear. Listen, Sheath Underwear has changed the underwear game. It is officially freaking changed. Because I was used to going to the gym getting ready to get my training in, and either having to wear boxers and letting things flop all over the place and not fit quite right with my cup and jockstrap, or wearing briefs and having everything crushed down to a crazy level where it got sweaty and uncomfortable and I had to touch my junk all the time. Not anymore. Sheath Underwear has an innovative front pocket that promotes airflow to your cash and prizes so that you don't have to keep moving them around and they're still supported the whole time. Now, if that's not good enough for you already... Go to sheathunderwear.com, check them out, and use promo code FLOW, F-L-O, for 20% off your whole order there. You'll be happy you did. Now, for my UFC 237 breakdown, in I'm going all underdogs. Three straight underdogs on my picks. First, I'm taking Rose Namajunas. She's a plus 110 underdog against Jessica Andrade. I know people are high on Jessica Andrade's power. I know people are high on her fighting at home. But, look, Rose Namajunas outstruck. Joanna Janjacek, and to me, that's enough for me to buy her outstriking Jessica Andrade, especially over a long period of time. I think she's got better stamina, I think she can pick her shots, and I think she can stay away from the heavy one. I'm also taking Anderson the Spider Silva, that's right, I'm going old school, taking him as a plus 135 underdog against Jared Cannonier. Look, I get it, Cannonier can wrestle a little bit, right? That's what we're afraid of. Did people not just see the fact that Anderson Silva gave Israel Adesanya at least a little bit of trouble? The dude still can pick and move, and he's still got great stand-up. And I think he's got enough great stand-up to keep Jared Cannonier at bay. So I'm taking Anderson Silva. I'm also, now I'm straying from the Brazilian favorite here, I'm picking Alexander Volkanovsky over Jose Aldo. That's right, plus 125 underdog Alexander Volkanovsky. I'm taking him over Aldo because I actually believe that this kid is the future. I think he has the ability to get Jose Aldo to the ground. I think he has the ability to back Jose Aldo up. As long as he stays away from those kicks, I like Volkanovski by decision here. So I'm taking Rose Namajunas 
over Jessica Andraj, Anderson the Spider Silva over Jared Cannonier, and Alexander Volkanovsky over Jose Aldo. And that is going to do it for an epi- another episode of Top Turtle MMA. We thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We also want to thank our sponsors, ADK Fightwear, Maroon Social, make sure to download the app, Sisu Mouthguards, and Sheath Underwear. I want to thank Flow Combat for having me on each and every week. We wouldn't be able to do what we do without them. And we want to remind you guys that you can check us out on Twitter at Top Turtle MMA. Got all kinds of fun giveaways, prizes, and other general trivia going on over there. So you're going to want to check out that. Once again, I am Daniel Gumby Freeland. He is Shockwave Dave Tremonte. And we will see you next week.